we're going to get in the Word of God. If you have a Bible, get it out. We're in a, a series called Created for Connection, where we're starting at the very beginning, a very good place to start. So we're going to be in Genesis again, uh, Genesis chapter 2 specifically. If you want to turn there, if you have a device, you like to look there, you can look as well. Um, we'll also have the scriptures up here. Uh, but I want to kind of set it up a little bit before we dive in. And I am watching the clock as promised. Um, but let me tell you some really important truths first. And we kind of established these two weeks ago when we began this series. You were created, you were made by God for God. To be like God as his image bearer, okay? You're created for connection with the creator, amen? And that's the message. If you didn't hear it, go back, listen. It's on our YouTube. <laughs> and as we're in this season of uh, 504, seeking the Lord for 21 days with prayer and, and fasting, we're saying, Lord, we're, we're all yours. We're, we're all for you. Um, and I've heard people say things like, and maybe you've heard this too, like you're not a human being having a spiritual experience, you're a spiritual being having a human experience, which I like, but it's actually not fully accurate either, okay? Because it's not like you will only be human now. It's not like you will only have a body now. Do you know that? You will, you will live as a human with, with a body designed by God forever, okay? Oh, good, good, okay. This wasn't a revelation. I'm excited. Uh, this is good. I mean, did you know that, that Jesus himself right now exists in a human body? Like for eternity, Jesus became human and stayed it. Stayed it. Like he was lived his life on the earth like we do. And then he was uh, crucified, buried, resurrected in a body. It was different. They didn't recognize him at first, but he was in a human body. He walked the earth, he ate food, and then they watched that human body go into the sky like some sci-fi movie. And like right now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father forever in a human body, like you and me. And we're going to see him, and we're going to worship around that throne where Jesus remains a man who is God forever. That's mind-blowing, but it's beautiful, isn't it? So I, I say that because sometimes we, we feel like flesh, being human, there's something somehow dirty or lesser to our existence that hopefully, you know, one day we'll be rid of it. But the truth is when, when God formed man out of the dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and we came to life, it was a glorious thing. When he made the human frame, it was in his image, in his likeness, and full of the life of God. This body is our wonderfully made container for the spirit that God has put within us. Now, it will be changed. It will be glorified, just as Jesus was glorified. He's the firstborn. But it's not like, well, one day, one day we won't be bound by this. How about we not consider ourselves bound? How will we consider ourselves beautifully and wonderfully made by Jesus for Jesus? And where we want to go today, the, the title of the message is being holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy. That our life in God isn't just our spiritual life. It's not just about a spirit thing, it's, it's all of us. 
Our life in God in, involves our entire being. Spirit, soul, body, and every facet of our life is where God belongs. Amen? Because knowing God is life. It's what we're made for. Knowing Jesus isn't just spiritual life. It's life. There isn't life outside of it. It's, it's death. You're living in death when you don't know God in every facet and aspect of your being. So as we get into the word of God, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you that your love for us never wanes or wanders or runs out. That you've called us to know you in love forever. Lord, we ask your blessing on your word as we open it, that you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we wouldn't leave our time together with more information, but we'd leave knowing you better. We'd leave having encountered you in your word, being transformed in a greater measure into your image and likeness. In Jesus' name. If you agree, you can say amen. All right, so Genesis chapter 2. I told you we'd get there. Um, again, this is a continuation, so if you want the first part, go back. Genesis 2, starting in verse 8. And um, so in Genesis 1, God lays out uh, the whole creation story, all the seven days. Two is sort of an unpack of day six when, when God created man. And then three, uh, Genesis 3 speaks of the fall, the fall of mankind. But here's the pieces we want to look at in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. Let me just think about that for two seconds. God planted a garden for us. That's awesome. And there he put the man he had formed. Verse 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. God's not just a utilitarian God. He loves beauty. He makes beauty. And in the middle of the garden where the tree of life were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now I'm going to skip a couple verses to verse 15. Follow along. And now Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And hopefully, you know the rest of that story. That's not what we're focusing on. Uh, but, so we're going to stop the reading there for the moment. We'll come back. So we have a garden cultivated, planted, not cultivated, planted by God, where God placed humankind. It was made for them. And this was their place to live, to flourish, and to be with him. And I want to unpack this because when we look at the beginning, we look for what we, when we talk about what we were created for, what God's original design was is why we got to go back to the beginning. This is the glorious plan of God pre-fall. No sin, no corruption in the world. This was the perfect plan of God. And I would say the original sin is the same deception of sin that we fall in today, and I'm just going to like tiptoe there and step back, is a lie that says one of two things. What, what was Satan really tempting Eve with in the garden when he, when he said, did God really say? 
Well, first, he's calling God's goodness into doubt, right? God's holding out on you. That, that, that was the lie, that, that, the deception that she and Adam bought, that, that God's trying to keep that from me, and I think that that's good, so I'm going to have it. Sin today is exactly the same. The, the more subtle step-cousin to that deception is this thought that I have literally well-meaning, Jesus-loving people say to me when life isn't going the way they want or they think there's something more they need, and they say, but God, just God is not enough. And you know why it's a deception and a lie and why people buy it is because they have this very narrow view of what God is and where he fits into life. It's just my spiritual life, but I need more outside of that. And the wrongness of that view is the narrow view of God and thinking that somehow you have life outside of him. Okay? It's a lie when we buy that, that, that we limit God to one aspect of our lives and make this compartmentalization of our life. Well, this is my spiritual life, and this is my family life, and this is my work life, and this is my relationship life, that the other parts are just things we kind of do in our humanity that don't really matter as much that God may or may not be involved in. See, God's not just present on Sundays when we gather like this or in prayer meetings, or when you're praying and reading the Bible, which I love all those things. God's in it all. He's the author of all of life. <laughs> He's the source of everything that is. If it exists, God made it. Right? Did the devil make anything? Quick quiz. Can he ever create anything? No. He's just a liar. That's all he can do is lie, lie, lie. Devil's a lie. Question? Did he create chaos? No. He can't create anything. That's a good question, though. But he can bring, bring, he can release chaos. Anyways, tangents. Everything belongs to him. The one who made it. He's in it all. Whether it's your spiritual life, work, family, relationships. So I want to talk a little bit about that today, and it might just revolutionize the way you interact with God. One of the main things that many of us do is work. Um, whether it's having a job, all of us have some sort of occupation or vocation. We have a way in which we uh, steward our time and energies, right? Um, God uses our jobs many times, or our vocation many times, to bring provision to us, to cultivate and care for us and the lives for ourselves, for our family. It's, it's a really, really good thing. God put Adam and Eve in a garden to work it and take care of it. Why? Because that land would produce for them sustenance. And they get to have a part in God's provision. They get to put their hands, their minds, their bodies, their whole self into this creation that he made. And it was very good. I say that because, I mean, they were given a mandate over it, in fact. You know, uh, subdue it, 
take leadership over it. I'm giving you this space as my image bearers. It was holy. It was a God-ordained part of life before sin entered the world to work. You know, because, and, and I say this because there's an idea, well, when we get to heaven, we won't work. And that's why heaven sounds really boring, right? What are we going to do? Sit around on clouds, strumming harps all day for billions and billions and billions of years that never end? There's a few people that would love that. Lean after the first billion, though. I'm not sure I would like that even. And I like music. I like harps. And I like worshiping Jesus. I am pretty sure we will have occupation and vocation in heaven. There will be a work that we do, but that work will be holy, and it will be glorious, and it will be beautiful, and it won't be a burden. What the, the curse brought was that our work would become a toilsome burden. But I want to look at God's original design. Because I heard this thing about this guy named Jesus who saved us and redeemed us from the curse. Anybody hear about that? Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. It wasn't just our sins that he erased. He redeemed it all. And we're on the way to receiving it all. It's kind of a now and a not yet, but we want to live from the understanding of God's original design. Because God didn't change his mind. He's like, oh, scrap that. Plan B. But never. It was never, never that way in his work. In, 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 his, in his mind, in his world. So what were they doing? What was Adam and Eve doing when they, when they put them in the garden and even to work it and to take care of it? They were cultivating this space that brought forth food, probably maybe making shelter, maybe places to live, places to abide, enjoying the beauty of it. And they got to be there all the time in that garden. But do you know what else they were managing, cultivating, and taking care of? It was a space where God came to meet with them. They had the glorious privilege of, and honor of cultivating the space he gave them as the meeting place. It talks a little later on in Genesis 3 that God would come and walk with them in the garden in the cool of the day. In fact, mind-blowing, it talks about they heard his footsteps. Do you imagine every day getting to hear God's footsteps as he walked into your garden to hang out with you? Kind of makes you think, Jesus, I don't know. Maybe he looked a lot more like us even before he took on our flesh. I don't know. But he had footsteps. The word of God says that for sure. But the garden is the place where God comes to meet with us. It's the place where God came to meet with them, in the garden. And they were cultivating this place. So what if, what if God is looking to meet with you in the space that you get to labor every day? Whether it's your job, your home space, your family space, your neighborhood, whatever God has put before you as your occupation and vacation, what if that's your garden what if that's the space where God wants to come walk with you in the cool of the day? Not what if, I'll just say it is. We need to understand it that way. Because we, we, we're always looking for a rest and a respite from what God has put in front of us. Waiting for a relief from our work. 
And part of that is the pressure of the curse that is alive in the world. Don't get me wrong. We still experience the effects of sin. Curse it. However, we've also been giving an overcoming spirit to live different in this space. Our work doesn't have to just be a toil that we look for a reprieve from. Or if you're a, a parent or a grandparent, you know, a, a mom, that, that our kids don't be something like, you know, in our family life, is it something we're looking to escape from? How about if it's the space we get to cultivate where God wants to walk with us in the cool of the day? Hallelujah. Let's say your, your pay, place of living, your workspace is your garden. And yes, God uses those spaces to provide for us as we do the work, you know. But that's also an important distinction to make, friends. I've heard lots of people say, you know, it's the man's job to provide. Uh, Concept-wise, I don't mind it, but that's not what the Bible says. There's, there's a provider, and he's a heavenly father. But you know what? He provides for me through my work. But I'm not providing. He is. We get it twisted. We look at us. We're, we're making idols of ourselves. That if I can't, if it's not happening, I'm not doing it, it's not right. And God said, no, 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 I'm the provider. I'm the provider. You do the work. Let me take care of you. Somebody needs to get freed by that word. So I want to introduce you to a word that might change your life. Um, we were talking around the table the other day, um, and I'd heard somewhere that Eskimos have like a lot of words for the word snow. Anybody heard that before? And I said it was like 18. Well, I saw an article this week that said it might be like 100. That's wild, right? But why? Well, because when you live in constant freezing cold, uh, you know, environment and it's snow, that becomes a big part of the life you're living, right? So having language for it is probably really important in the different kinds of snow, you know. But what if you switch that around and there was, because language is powerful, right? And it communicate. we need language to communicate, right? And to have understanding. And what if, though, there were words that had more than one meaning? And there were, you know what I'm saying, but like multiple variations of understanding of meaning. And so I want to introduce you to a word as we're talking about being holy, holy, having it all be to God is this word that I learned actually first from a friend of mine, Andy Bailey. He's been here. He's talked. And the word is this, avoda. It's a Hebrew word, and it means three things simultaneously. Worship, work, and service. Google it. I'm not lying. It's out there. Um, and uh, just as an example, in the first place it appears is Genesis 2 where we read this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden Eden, Eden to work it. He put him in the garden to avoda it. And these are three examples, but there are 145 sightings of avoda in the Old Testament. 145! And all of them are one of, translated loosely into English into one of these words, but they're all the same in the mind of God. Same! Okay, in Exodus 8.1, when God is speaking through Moses, he says, let my people go so they can avoda me. They can worship me. And in Joshua, another very famous, famous passage, as for me and my house, 
we will avoda the Lord. We will serve the Lord. And it's interchangeable throughout all the Old Testament scriptures, this Hebrew word, avoda. What if our work is our worship? What if worship is more than what we do when we sing songs? And I love to sing songs to Jesus. You know me. But what if our work is our worship? What if our daily occupation is our worship unto God? How does that change the way we see it? How does that change the way in which we interact with the world around us? We get to avoda every moment of our lives. We get to worship, we get to work, and we get to serve. It's what we're called to. It's the garden we live in. Is this making sense? We get to work with God. We get to work and experience God in our work. Our work is an avenue of encounter with God. We're made for it. That's awesome. What about our relationships then? The second thing I want to talk about, and then um, we'll wrap up and save the rest for later. Genesis, going back further, Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every other living creature that moves on the ground. That's what I said about the the mandate he gave us. So God created mankind, that's us, in his image to be like him. Male and female, he created us to be like him. And then he said, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. What was God doing from day one when he created mankind was he was building a family. He was making a family. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's what that means. Part of our original design was to be in community, to be in relationship, to relate to one another, not just to have babies, but it does happen that way. This was a holy mandate given in the perfection of the garden. Family is God's design. I mean, he's a father. It only makes sense. He's a father, but and so our investment in our family or our spiritual family, whether you're a parent or a grandparent or a sister or a brother or a, a kid within a family structure is part of our holy mandate, the way that we interact with family, or even spiritual family here in our church life. It's a holy part of our holy vocation. But family, man, it's visceral. It's, it can be nitty-gritty. Am I right? You know, and, and especially as a parent, I understand this. Like, raising a family and children, like, you know, sometimes it's just like, let's make sure we get sleep at night, and we get washed, and we get fed, and we don't die today. You know, that, that's what family sometimes feel like as, as a parent. You, you all know if you've been a parent and you're a grandparent. But raising a family, children, being part of a family structure, again, whether it's your biological family 
or your spiritual family may be closer to God's vocation, God's job, than anything else. Did you ever think of that? Because that's what he's doing nonstop with you and me as father. He's feeding us, caring for us, discipling us, teaching us, nurturing us, encouraging us, rebuking us when necessary. Family life didn't come from us. It's who he is. Does that make sense? It's a holy thing, even in the the nitty-gritty of it. It's the place where God wants to meet with us. It's where God wants to be present to us, even in the mundane day-to-day of, well, we got to make sure the kids get three meals today, and we got to make sure they get to school and take care of them when they're sick and kiss their boo-boos when they cry. And, you know, you have adult kids. Advise them when they're in crisis. Love them when you disagree with them. Do you ever think how much we're being asked to be like God on a day-to-day basis? We're in his image. We're in his likeness. This is what we're made for. In the mundane day-to-day of family life, we should see the face of God because he is a father and we are his family. Everyone's part of his family and everyone's part of a family in some way, shape, or form. Even if you're not stewarding a family, you're, you're part of one, and you're part of the family of God. We're going to talk more about those relationships, how we're created for those connections as we go forward. But I'm going to wrap up today um, with these, as promised. And remind us, remind you and me, we're made for God. Every part of our life is made or ordained by him, through him, for him. This, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. Okay, I'm going to share one more passage. I just thought, like, kids might be done, not done with kids' church yet, so. Psalm 84 says some amazing things. This would be our pre prequel, our prequel to, to next message, the next message, Psalm 84. We've talked about work. We've talked about family and relationships. What about you? What about your personhood, your multifaceted personhood? Psalm 84 says this amazing thing. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord in this part. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And we see here, it doesn't say spirit, but I would like to to suggest to you to see yourself again like God as a triune being. That you are body, soul, and spirit. And all three are, are interwoven and interconnected in an inseparable way. Just like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are inseparable and yet three in one. You guys know about the Trinity, right? So we are the humanly Trinity in that we have a body, we have a soul, and a spirit. And I want to tell you, every part of you is made for God. Every part of you needs God. So your body, we understand, is our flesh 
And you know what? Our flesh was made by God, and it was made by him for him. Do you know your flesh cries out for God? Your body wants God? Did you ever think about that? Because that's what the scripture seems to paint here. My flesh is crying out for God. It's not crying out for food, though I need it. It's not crying out for pleasure, though it's made for us. What you need more than food and earthly pleasure is God to fulfill your body. How much sin would that cure if we got it? But not just my flesh are crying out, my heart, which speaks of my soul. Do you know what? Your soul is the unique image and personality of you that's unseen. It's your heart, it's your emotions, and it's the action of your will. The soul is huge. Our soul is what God has to save. Because <laughs> it's our soul that gets, tries to get a mind of its own when we're not... When we're not we're not in alignment with, with God. We're not living under his lordship. But you know what? Your soul cries out for God too. Your, your, your mind, your intellect wants to encounter God. Your emotions want to be in connection with the emotions of God. And your will, your decision-making center, longs to connect to God's will. That's how you were made. It's about him, being with him, living with him, delighting in him. This is what we were made for. Not just our spiritual lives. Jesus, in his final prayer before dying, going to the cross, prayed for us and dropped in conversation with the Father this powerful reality that I already said. But I want you to know I didn't make it up. Psalm 17, the great high priestly prayer of Jesus, you may have heard. Psalm 17, verse 3, he says this. I'm not, sorry, not Psalm. John 17, verse 3, he says this. Talk, this is just Jesus talking to the Father, but knowing we're all listening in. <laughs> John 17, verse 3, he says, Now this, Father, is eternal life, that they know you, the one and only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom he sent. Our eternal life, the substance of life itself, body, soul, spirit, work, family, life, is simply him. Knowing him. Connecting ourselves to him in every facet of our being. This is what we're made for. It's what we're created for. It's what we're called to. And this is where we find fulfillment, purpose, value, peace. Amen? Let's stand. I'm just going to take a